Welcome to episode 19 of Between the Times, a podcast of Christ Church Presbyterian in Charleston, South Carolina. My name is Ross Hodges. I'm here with my good friend and uh, senior minister of Christ Church, John Payne. John, how are you? Doing very well. Thank you, Ross. Good. Well, today we want to begin a three-part series on uh, why weekly communion. And that might sound a little uh, mundane or academic, but uh, we promise you it will not be either of those in the negative sense. Um, but instead, we, we want to talk about um, why at Christ Church we have uh, communion, the Lord's Supper, every week. We know that's not really a common thing in our day. We know that that can be a little confusing to people. Um, we One week we'll have it in the morning and the next week have it in the evening. But we make a point to every week uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And um, again, people find that a little strange at times. And we know that we have uh, history on our side, such uh, great theologians and pastors as uh, John Calvin and John Owen and uh, Charles Spurgeon uh, have held this particular uh, practice and, and viewpoint. So we want to explore uh, for these uh, next three episodes, um, explore why we do what we do when it comes to communion. But John, I guess the first thing we need to establish is what is uh, communion? Why do we have it at all? Yes, well, uh, looking to uh, the Gospels, and particularly Matthew's Gospel in chapter 26 and beginning at verse 26, uh, we see our Lord Jesus Christ uh, establishing and instituting this new covenant meal, uh, which is a replacement of Passover mm -hmm. and uh, fulfillment of all that is uh, communicated in Passover. It says in verse 26, Now as they were eating, that is, as Christ and his disciples uh, were eating the Passover meal, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so uh, essentially what we have here is, as we're going to talk about in a few minutes, um, a new covenant meal, uh, which is a sign and a seal of the covenant of grace. And we're going to talk about some of that terminology in a minute. But uh, it is, uh, Ross, at the center of our piety as Christian believers. Mm, that's right. uh, this has become an obscure and arcane uh, and quite frankly to many I think a kind of bothersome thing mm -hmm. uh, sadly because it, it, it takes time to distribute the elements, mm -hmm. um, it takes time in our services and it actually takes time to instruct and to teach uh, God's people uh, about the 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 meaning of the Lord's Supper, and the same goes with baptism. And and yeah. so you can see why in a kind of a, a high-energy, highly programmatic, sort of hipster church, why you might um, pass over, uh, to, use so the, to, uh, <laughs> to use the terminology, um, this, this, this uh, sacrament, or simply to, you know, do it from time to time and not give it a whole lot of emphasis. But we, as, as Reformed, historically Reformed Christian believers, uh, in a heritage of Protestant Christianity, mm -hmm. we, we believe that this, uh, this table, as we're going to give reasons why in a minute, why it is central to the disciple-making process and to um, 
to sanctification and piety. That's right. And, and this is not anything new, as we've said, not only in more recent church history and as in the 16th, 17th, 18th centuries, but going back to the beginning. I mean, isn't this what we see with the early church in Acts? I think so. In Acts 2.42, of course, we see this, uh, this verse which really became... Uh, uh, a verse which shows the normative worship of the early church and the church throughout the ages. It says, and they, that is these, these 3,000 who were added to the church after Pentecost, and they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to definite the prayers. Article. Yeah, so the definite article between all, uh, before all of those, um, it, it makes it, I think, clear that uh, here we have public worship and the devotion of the early Christians to these things. And so just as we would not have the apostles teaching uh, once a month or once a quarter, uh, or prayers once a month or once a quarter, so we wouldn't have the Lord's table once once a month or once a quarter. And I, again, I, as we go through these, I, I don't want to, um, uh, to communicate that a church is in sin for not having weekly communion. Right, right. Uh, I do think it is a matter of judgment, particularly amongst the elders, and there are different things to consider, but I think that the weight is quite overwhelming uh, for uh, the practice of weekly communion. And I get it. I have, I have dear friends who at times like to cross swords a little bit about <laughs> uh, this topic, and it is a debated topic. It has sure. been for a long time. And they'll say things like, you know, God's people will never uh, really appreciate it if you do it every week. Or they'll say things like, it's it's really not done very well when it's done weekly. Mm. Time's not taken to really explain or to or to give the proper warnings at the table. Right. Right. Uh, uh, but my response to that is always that, well, just like with the weekly preaching and the weekly praying and the weekly singing of psalms and hymns and the weekly confessions, in public worship that this should be done with excellence like everything else and so we need to be careful to do that with excellence and so we are in no way are we saying by the various reasons we're going to give to have weekly communion we're not saying that this should be done in a sloppy way no no not at all or or an unorganized way but rather that um, with care uh, and a biblical uh, teaching and accuracy and skillfully we want to uh, administer this this table that's right so uh, that's a, a great segue uh, into just uh, thinking through some reasons for uh, weekly communion and, and to um, just explain to our listeners and our people um, the the convictions behind um, what we do and you know John you've done some writing on this and so we want to um, work through some of that uh, here uh, on air, as it were. So um, let's let's just let's jump right in. What um, what would be? Uh, let's let's just stick in this episode with say the first five reasons. What are uh, those reasons that we um, come to the table weekly? Yes, uh, in this little booklet that I, I wrote for Christ Church, I've given ten reasons, and uh, we want to deal with the first five in this episode. And the first one is uh, pretty straightforward. Uh, it's that we will partake weekly because the Lord's Supper is a means of grace. Um, mm. That is clearly communicated to us uh, in our confession, the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Larger and Shorter Catechisms. And in uh, specifically the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 88 asks, what are the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption? 
The answer, the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the blessed, the benefits, the benefits, the benefits, ordinances, especially the word, sacraments, and prayer. Now this is the kicker. All which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. Mm. And so uh, one of the uh, encouragements, of course, to weekly communion would be that we really do believe this is a means of grace. We really do believe our confession and what it teaches about the sacraments and particularly here the Lord's Supper mm -hmm. actually conveying grace and blessing to us and receive through faith and repentance. Mm. And so uh, with that, we do believe that God uses it. It is effectual in the life of mm. the Christian believer. That's right. So we want to make very clear here that um, while uh, what part of what Jesus taught is that we are remembering him and remembering his sacrifice, yes, it is more than just a, a, a memory. It is more, what we are doing is more than um, just thinking back on what Christ did. But there's actually something, just like we believe with the preaching of the word, uh, say, um, there's actually something being done to us through participating in this, and that's what the means of grace uh, are in the first place, aren't they? Yes, they, they come from outside of us. So much of evangelicalism is turned in on itself. It is, it is man-centered. Uh, it is focused on uh, light, sort of sanctified entertainment, if I can put it that way. Sure. It's cotton candy. It's pop culture. Uh, it's programs. Uh, it's personality, the personality of the minister. It's uh, making people laugh and feel comfortable and getting their felt needs met. And, um, uh, you know, historic Christianity is about uh, pilgrims mm. uh, coming from the wilderness of this world and coming before their Heavenly Father mm -hmm. and, and, and God spreading a table for them in the wilderness. Yes. and feeding them upon his word, who is the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's right. uh, we, we live off of that word, that word which is preached audibly to our ears and that word which is preached to our eyes and our taste buds when we partake of the Lord's Supper. It is the gospel, that precious mm. gospel which proclaims that there is salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that through faith in him we receive full pardon for all of our sins, imputed righteousness, and mm -hmm. the gift of everlasting life. That is, uh, is what we need more than anything and should never be eclipsed by all of our ideas. That's right. So really, it's, as we'll talk more about later, it's, the, the Lord's Supper is, is another way that God uh, communicates the gospel to us. It just happens to be with things that we taste and, and feel and smell. And um, just as he kept his people alive uh, through their pilgrim wilderness wanderings in the Old Testament, uh, through the manna which came down from heaven. So Jesus tells us, what John chapter 6, that he is the bread which has come down from heaven. And now yes. uh, every week we are being sustained, um, spiritually uh, sustained through uh, that bread, which is um, the body of Christ broken for us. Amen. And the means of grace, we talk about the word and sacraments. The, the word... Uh, is that which is proclaimed and by God's grace and spirit it brings life and it sustains life and it creates faith. Uh, Romans 10:17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ and so faith is created in the preaching of the word and then as the Heidelberg Catechism clearly communicates 
faith is confirmed at the table. It becomes like an official seal driving home the gospel to us. And the, the beauty of word and sacrament is that it is, it's a simple way of communicating to us of our deep need of Jesus Christ mm. and, and, and the call to abide in him. Mm-hmm. Think about all the, uh, the loudness and the silliness of modern-day evangelicalism and how it has crowded out these simple means of Bible preaching and sacraments set forth in order to drive Jesus Christ and his person work into our lives and our hearts and to build up our faith and to comfort us and to assure us of his presence with us. And yet we have come up with our own means of grace. Mm. We've come up with big music programs and big big uh, uh, children's programs and climbing walls and bouncy castles and all of the busyness of uh, big church life. And, and we need to be careful that we don't obscure that which God has promised will uh, proclaim Christ to us and and cause us to, by his grace, uh, abide in him. And so that's the first reason that uh, the Lord's Supper is a means of grace. It's a means by which God communicates Christ and his benefits to our souls, and we don't want to neglect that. Yes, and a lot of what you're saying there leads us very easily into the second uh, reason that you have here in the pamphlet that uh, we partake weekly, because the Lord's Supper is God's ordained way of signifying sealing and confirming the preaching of the gospel. And so a lot of what you've been saying ties into that, that um, we have the gospel preached from the word and and then at the end of the service we, we have that gospel which has been preached um, confirmed in, an, in another way that is ordained by God. It's that um, that sealing factor, just just like on your diploma you have a seal of authenticity that's put on it by the school. Mm. So also, God is, is giving a seal of authenticity that you can see and taste um, uh, to the word that was just preached. Yes, when I was at the University of Edinburgh, uh, one afternoon I had a little time and I thought I would just kind of thumb through the special collections in the New College Library. And I came across um, a document uh, within the special collections index. It looks really interesting. And so I, I, I drew up a request and gave it to the librarian, and, and she brought it up from special collections. And what it was was a search warrant from Queen Elizabeth I mm. from uh, the 1560s. <laughs> And she was uh, she had a, an arrest warrant out for I think four or five men who had fled up to Edinburgh. Wow. Somehow uh, the University of Edinburgh got this document and put it in their special collections. I'm not sure why it was in the theology department. But, uh, there you go. <laughs> theology of suffering. <laughs> uh, but it was a beautiful document and had Queen Elizabeth's mm. signature right across the front of it. But what was most uh, interesting was the wax seal that was on that document. The document was official in all sorts of ways. The signature of the Queen, sure. uh, the various signatures of other officials, but then you had the official royal wax seal. Mm. And there was something about rubbing my hands across that. And there was something so incredibly official about that. And and this really, in, in some ways, are how the, 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 uh, the sacraments function. Yes. Uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper. It's we hear the gospel promises, and yet to to see those promises in a sense, the visible word of God being proclaimed through the water and the bread and the wine, and to taste and to see and to and to feel them, it it 
it, in God's economy, it's driving deep into our hearts by His Spirit, those gospel promises. So God condescends to us and gives us these, these uh, seals uh, confirming the preaching of the gospel on our hearts. Um, I love what Calvin says in his Institutes, Book 4, uh, where he says that the sacraments are mirrors in which we may contemplate the riches of God's grace which He lavishes upon us. Mm, that's right. So the the reasoning here that uh, we're, where we're taking this to argue for a weekly communion is that we want that seal, that, that, that confirmation every time the Word is preached. And so, uh, again, that's just like it's a means of grace this is part of the way that it's a means of grace is that it's sealing the word which was preached and we don't want to have the word without it and we don't want to skip over that word signifying either because you know the right. puritans were so strong on this that when the bread is broken and the wine is set before us or poured out before us we ought to be thinking about the lord jesus christ being nailed to the tree yes suffering for us uh, I love what uh, Puritan Philip Goodwin says in his book, Evangelical Communicant. He says, Christ by this sacrament supper represents his sore sufferings as to our sight, whereas the gospel is but a narrative from which we hear Christ suffer. The sacrament is a perspective in which we see Christ's suffering. Yet not only the verity, but the severity of the sufferings of Christ are here set forth his blessed body broken, and his precious blood poured forth, expressing the bowels of his mercy. Mm. I mean, how beautiful is that? Uh, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, our hearts are meant to be stricken with the weightiness of what the Son of God went through for us. It's not just a flippant partaking and laughing and, and, and hitting people next to you with your, your elbow, and it's just like a casual occurrence. This is a weighty time of fellowship with God as we partake of, of His Son spiritually. That's right. That's right. So could we argue then, moving on to uh, the third point here, that, um, not could we argue, but why do we argue that we are missing out on something um, in the Lord's Day when we don't have the Lord's Supper, when we don't have communion? Yeah, and I think this, this takes us back to... Um, Acts 2.42, that when the early Christians were meeting, they were devoted to the breaking of bread and all that it symbolized. And uh, the, the Sabbath, or the Lord's Day, as it's called in Revelation 1.10, is, uh, is meant to be a day of fellowship with God. That is, mm. that is primary, isn't it? And how do we have fellowship with God? Through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the mediation of the Son. And what did Christ leave us in order to remember Him? And to have and to have reinforced uh, in our lives regarding his person and work. Well, it's the preaching of the word and baptism and the Lord's Supper. That's right. And so while baptism has, uh, it's not something we do all the time because we're baptized once. Uh, so there will be baptisms of new believers or of covenant children. That's not going to happen every single Sunday. Mm -hmm. Although I wish it did. I wish it was every Sunday. That'd be marvelous. But uh, just in God's providence, people aren't being baptized every Sunday. But the best Sunday for me is that we're having baptisms and the Lord's Supper right. uh, together and just having all the means of grace uh, there represented. But uh, the Lord's Day, it points to that everlasting day, doesn't mm. it? And we read about that in Revelation 19. And yeah. what do we have symbolized 
in that great and eternal day in Revelation 19. We have that wonderful uh, marriage supper of the Lamb. Yeah, so uh, Ross, why don't you read for us Revelation 19, uh, 6 through 9. Yes. On page 6 there. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. That's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, so the Christian Sabbath is, is a dim yet glorious reflection of much better days to come. And isn't that what's being reinforced at the Lord's table? We consider Absolutely. the past, what Christ has done. We consider the present, how he's sustaining us now in this pilgrimage from suffering to glory. And it points to the future. It anticipates that Sabbath to come in paradise where we will uh, feast at his table. And so all of this is wrapped up in the theology of the Lord's Supper. And so why would we want to have a Lord's Day without, without the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper. It really makes a lot of sort of sense when you think about gospel logic or or the theology of the Lord's Day. I think yes. it, it, it encourages that. Well, you're, what you're saying uh, transitions us actually very nicely to the next point as well, and, and that is that uh, we, we partake weekly because the Lord's Supper deepens our dependence upon and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, we, we, we come to the Lord's Day and we come to uh, worship um, needing to know that we are dependent. And there's something missing, you and I would argue, and others would argue, um, there's something missing or, or not enforced as greatly when the Lord's Supper isn't there because there's certain things that we're not being reminded of in the same way. Yes, and the beauty is in the simplicity as well when it comes to the Lord's table. You have bread and wine. And what do we need for our physical bodies to survive? We need food and drink. Uh, we need that to survive physically. And we also need something to survive spiritually. That's right. We need the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what a beautiful way for God to condescend and to reinforce to us uh, something so simple a child can understand, that as I partake of this bread and I partake of this wine, I am declaring that I need the Lord Jesus Christ. I am wholly dependent upon him for my salvation. He is my mediator. And so doing this as well, it buttresses our hearts against the temptations of the world and the flesh and the devil. Um, I love what uh, Daryl Hart says in his, in his book, The Lost Soul of American Protestantism, uh, where he says that uh, being a Christian means participating in churchly rites and ceremonies not simply as a means of inspiration for evangelism and Christian political activism, but primarily to learn dependence on grace and to persevere through life's doubts and temptations. Mm. And that really is what the Lord's Table is, is so centrally about, is, is bearing up in life's struggles and difficulties. We're not coming to flex our muscles on Sundays. We're coming to demonstrate as children that we need the Lord Jesus Christ. We are utterly dependent upon him. We don't receive him, get saved, and then move on to deeper things. Mm. We are abiding in him 
And the Lord's Supper is constantly reinforcing that. Think of, think of John 6, 56 through 58. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Mm. And so this weekly partaking is just reinforcing our dependence upon the person and work of Christ. It's kind of an active dependence, isn't it? You're, you're coming and, and saying, this is what I need. I need the Lord Jesus as he's represented to me um, spiritually in the supper. And um, I, I need that spiritual nourishment week in and week out, week in and week out, just like the Israelites uh, in the wilderness. Well, finally, we can end uh, here today. Um, uh, our fifth reason here, your fifth reason in, in the booklet is that we partake weekly because the Lord's Supper will cultivate increased levels of piety, assurance, and thankful obedience in our hearts. And I, I think that really just that builds on every point that you've made so far. Um, when those things are present of the gospel being preached and of us seeing our dependence upon Christ and, and acting in that dependence um, of comprehending the gospel uh, more and more. Um, those, those things cannot help but increase our piety and, and our, our love for Christ. Uh, and why, again, is, we would argue, why would we not want that? Yes, what makes you want to serve God more? What makes you want to be obedient as a child of God? Is it the 14 rules that your pastor gave you on Sunday morning? Not typically. <laughs> <laughs> or is it the clear proclamation of the grace of God through the person and work of Jesus Certainly. Christ? Yes. And isn't that meant to be central in the preaching and at the Lord's table and at baptism? And you know, these things can easily be turned into a legalism. Oh, sure. How quickly yeah. can the preaching of the word be all about us and what we are supposed to do in order to earn God's favor? Right. Or baptism becomes that which is focused on our commitment to God. Mm -hmm. Me making my public declaration of my commitment to him. And I'm coming in obedience uh, for baptism. Or the Lord's Supper. I'm going to come and practically whip myself as I come to the table. That's right. And... Uh, and I'm going to just come and and tell God I'm going to do better. And that really is the end of it. Now, I'm not saying at all that the means of grace don't have um, a clear uh, communication of our uh, call to obedience and repentance. Uh, but it is, first and foremost, a declaration of God's love and loyalty to us through Jesus Christ. And so it is out of the overflow of a heart that's overwhelmed with God's love and grace that then we want to serve. And so that becomes our piety. It's rooted in the gospel mm -hmm. and not in rules and laws that we've come up with or the expectations of others. That's right. How often does church become other people just wondering what they're supposed to do based on what everybody else thinks mm -hmm. rather than on love for Christ? That's and right. what he's done for them. And so I love Heidelberg 75. Mm. We've talked about this a lot, Ross, over the years. But Heidelberg 75 asks, How does the Lord's Supper signify and seal to you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all his gifts? Answer, in this way. Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup in remembrance of him. With this command, he gave these promises. One, first... 
As surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup given to me, so surely was his body offered for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. Hmm. Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of the minister and taste with my mouth the bread of the cup of the Lord as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely does he himself nourish and refresh my soul to everlasting life with his crucified body and shed blood. And so here we have God's grace in Christ clearly exhibited at the Lord's table in order to motivate us, to inspire us, uh, to strengthen us, to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil, and to obey God's commands, not because we're earning God's love, but because God's love, in a sense, has been earned for us through Jesus Christ. And so mm -hmm. that the Lord's table becomes something so precious that we will find a way uh, to partake weekly, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And uh, you know, just to sum up here as we, as we close out this um, segment, uh, what we're what we're arguing, what we're saying is that um, just like the preaching of the word is vital for um, the, the Christian discipleship that happens week in and week out on the Lord's Day, so also we believe um, is the visible word from the Lord's table in uh, the, the body and blood of Christ as set uh, before us. And so uh, we uh, will continue this discussion on our uh, next episode and we hope you will uh, tune in and join us once again.